this week's episode of Disruptive Voices of the Pacific is actually coming from Vanuatu. I arrived here in Port Villa yesterday afternoon. This morning I'm sitting with a guy I've just met, but he's good good friends of another friend of mine, Bobby Smith. And we're going to have a chat this morning, particularly around the work that he's doing in prison here in Port Villa. So good to be with you, Bobby. Thank you, Letitia. It's good to meet you. Thank you. Yes, now you've got a bit of an accent, so you're not um, from Vanuatu and you're not Australian either. Um, so just tell us a little bit of where you're from and why you've ended up here in Port Vila. I'm from South Africa, born and bred South African, otherwise known as Rugby World Cup champions. Um, uh, moved to oh, 2014, moved to Australia, and then six years ago we moved to Vanuatu. Um, due to unfortunate circumstances, but we did end up here. God's grace, you can say, God sending us here. So, yes, six years ago we ended up in Vanuatu. Very happy, it's home for us now. We want to become citizens, another four years, and we can become citizens. Um, very happy. It's like, it's like South Africa without the violence. Well, that's that's um, very good to hear. Um, but you've, you've found yourself um, working in the local prison here with men. How did that come about for you and um, yeah, why are you passionate about that area? I've always been passionate about broken men, being a broken man myself. Um, I don't know whether I should be saying this, but yeah, I spent time in prison when I was a, when I was a teenager. Um, God gave me a second chance and he can give anybody a second chance. And with men being demasculated here, is that the right word? Um, emasculated. Um, there's a lot of broken men out here because they don't understand what it is to be a man. And with the lack of mentors and fathers within the society itself, not just talking Vanuatu in the world in general, um, men go off on different paths which are generally the wrong paths and end up in prison. Um, so having that experience and knowing that God has given me a second chance, I want to share that with those men in prison who are broken. Um, I've seen men walk into prison and there's no joy, there's no hope, there's nothing. They think their lives over, when it's not. As soon as they realize that the gospel is there to give them hope, they change. And I have testimonies of that, which is, but yeah, that's why I do what I do. Uh, simply because God gave me, a broken man, a second chance. And uh, he can give anybody a second chance. Absolutely. That's the gospel, isn't it? It's good news for whoever, wherever, um, in that way. So how did the doors to the prison become open for you? How did you end up going in there? Well, when I arrived in Vanuatu, my wife found a job very quickly. Um, I'm not as employable as she is. Um, And I got frustrated with God uh, because I wanted to know why he had put us here. And it's not an argument you can win. But um, I fasted for 40 days and... At the end of it, in hindsight, it was about me trying to do everything myself without letting God lead me. Two months later, I met a young man from YWAM who was going into the medium-risk prisons, and he said to me, come come with me one day. And it was right up my alley. Um, I then got introduced to the guy going into the, the high-risk prison, so I started going with him. And then at the end of 2018, made it a full-time ministry. Um, to go into all the prisons, the low risk, the medium risk and the high risk and the women's prison um, sharing the gospel for these people because there's nobody else doing it. They would have church on a Sunday and the SDA comes in on a Saturday and that was it. That was all they were getting. Um, I know the high risk till this day, we're the only ones that go in. 
the high-risk prisoners don't see anybody besides their lawyers and us. So that's how it came about. And yeah, I'm not going to stop anytime soon, no matter what walls I put up in front of me. Yeah, awesome. Such an important place to be, um, giving hope. Uh, so what? let's talk about the high-risk prison. When you're going in there, what are you doing? Are you running a program? Are you just chatting? Are you running church? What does it look like? Um, with the high-risk prison, because uh, there's normally between 12 to 20 guys in there, and it's very small. It's three metres by three metres courtyard that we sit in. Um, so it's relational rather than me teaching or preaching at them. It's more relational, finding out where they're coming from, um, why they ended up in, in there, uh, what the influences on their, in their life were or were not, and then counteracting that with the gospel, what the Bible says about it um, from a principle point of view and what it actually says. So, um, yeah, a very seldom, I do teach to a degree, but most of the time it's just sitting, talking to them, creating, because Vanuatu is about relationships. Um, not just another missionary coming in and talking and disappearing. Um, so it's about building relationships with them and that's sitting down and talking to them about them um, and then reacting with the gospel. Um, well, biblical, giving them biblical answers. Medium risk is more because there's 60 to 80, um, same with the low risk prison. Um, it's more of a teaching session. We very seldom preach um, because they get preached at every weekend. Now, when I say preached at, shouted at every weekend. So it's more of a teaching, but also doing like Q&As, what we would call Q&As, but getting them involved. Um, speaking to them on their level, if that makes sense. Um, we're not better than them. Uh, and I always say, what's the difference between a man sitting in church and a man sitting in prison? The difference is we know the sins of the man in prison, not of the, one, of the man in church. So we're not any better and we try that's why we try and do things at, by not coming across as being better i don't even stand behind a pulpit i refuse to stand behind a pulpit because immediately that gives me an elevation of some sort which i, I don't like doing i sit down on a chair and we sit down and talk whether i'm teaching or whether I, sometimes i appreciate them when statistics come out and i get my backup um, about the statistics about sexual violence within vanuatu then i have a go at them in a nice way <laughs> um, but it's in the low risk and the medium risk it's more about teaching rather than, than preaching high risk is about relational uh, conversations more than anything else you mentioned sexual violence feel free to have a sip of your coffee we're sitting in a cafe and a lovely cappuccino has just arrived into Bobby's um, hands I've already had a coffee um, yeah sexual violence um, is an issue in every nation, but how prevalent is it over here in Vanuatu? Uh, it's, I, can't, I can't tell you the exact statistics because I haven't brought out statistics since 2013, the exact statistics, I think. Um, but we're looking at 60% of inmates are in there for sexual violence of some sort, uh, incestors on the rise. Um, due to fatherless societies fatherless society where the father is either absent he's an alcoholic he's um, abusing kava and marijuana um, 
he doesn't have work, etc., etc. He takes no responsibility. So that child is growing up um, without a mentor, without a father figure. We're trying to fulfill that role. Um, but that is the main reason. And also the culture being that women are seen as second-class citizens, which is slowly changing. Um, but it's still very prevalent within the Vanuatu society that women are seen as property. Um, we have had guys in prison, a 70-year-old man who beat his wife to death with a pipe because she went to the market without his permission. He still doesn't think he's done anything wrong because she is his property. She, he bought her. So there's, there's that, um, the lack of respect for women, the lack of respect for family um, by men who have gone off the rails. And... Yeah, it's. I th- if I remember correctly, and I and I, I definitely stand to be corrected, it's one in five girls between the ages of ten and twenty-eight. I think it was. No, one in three between the ages of ten and twenty-eight. I think they said have been abused in some way or another, mostly family members. So that is what we're dealing with. Yeah. And what role does pornography play in uh, the actions of sex offenders, do you think? Um, With the younger guys, a lot, because they spend most of their time being influenced. They spend most of their time on their phones, um, being influenced by Western culture and pornography. Um, Not so much the older guys. I think the older guys is just a power thing, that they have power over a woman. but yes, def- pornography and it's on the increase. So we're getting a lot of younger guys in which are being influenced by pornography. It is a big thing. Um, not as big as probably Fiji, but it is still a big thing because the internet, the data is very expensive here. So they're not all kind of can afford it, but they'll share a phone, for instance. So, yeah. Um, and similar to Fiji, uh, a huge amount of the population attends church over here. Um, so you would assume that church would be speaking on some of these issues, but no or yes? <laughs> He's shaking his head. <laughs> Give us a bit of an insight into um, church culture over here. Um, yeah, I, um, like I said to you earlier, it's, it's about mixing culture with religion. So mixing co- the, the, the local culture with Christianity and you get this mess of of something that's been preached from the pulpit and I blame the pulpit because there's churches on every corner plus Vanuatu calls itself a Christian country um, the values of that you get as being a man of God are non-existent Um, so what's being preached from the pulpit is not Christianity because men of God won't do those horrific things that these men do so yes, it is a big problem within this in this country is the pulpit. Uh, I, I don't want to speak too much out against because I'm still a guest within this country, but yeah, there's not a lot of well, there's very few churches doing what's needed to be done to stop sexual violence, domestic violence, violence against children. They've, there's very few doing it. I'm not saying everyone does it, but uh, everyone is not doing something. There are churches that do do something. And I can confidently say that I have three to four pastors at any one time in prison for mostly sexual violence. So the pastors are in prison. Yes, that's a slight problem there. And I I love what you said, the difference between uh, the sinners in prison and in church. (laughs) The sinners in prison have been caught, haven't they? And that's the problem with the religious culture as we've 
we get really well at covering up um, and we dress up nicely on a Sunday. We do the choir practice and we, we can shout and holler, but um, underneath it's not helpful. What what has the, re the response of the prisoners been towards you? How responsive are they to listening to you and, and your relationship, especially as an outsider coming in? Look, um, in the beginning it was really difficult because like I said earlier, um, Vanuatu is a very relational country and they see a white missionary coming in. They're expecting that white missionary to come in for a month or two and then leave, go back home. Um, it's taken me a long time to, to create relationships with them that, that they trust me, that Bobby is trustworthy. So they phone me if they need anything or they phone me, just Bobby, please pray for us. You know, we're having an issue within the prison or whatever it is. Um, there are some elements within, within the correctional services that don't like me going in, um, but that's okay. Uh, I think the truth is hurts some people, so um, it still can be difficult because I'm an outsider and, and that will always be like that, but yeah, they trust me. Um, they trust me enough that they will call me if there's an issue within the prison, including the officers, where I've had to come in because they were angry with another missionary um, that was going in at the time. And yeah, I had to go in. They asked me to come in and calm them down. It's the one and only time that I've actually felt a little scared um, because they were getting so worked up. And when when you're the only one in there with 60 inmates, it, it got a bit frightening. But um, through God's grace, we were able to calm them down, and I was able to talk to them. So yeah it's difficult but it, but it is a it is a process but it's a process that's worth it because once you once they trust you you can get through to them they'll start listening to what you say and believing what you say so so are you able to share any stories of men who have um, not that we're looking for perfect ending stories but just some good news stories of what God has been doing in the prison I've got I've got a couple but the one that stands out the most is a guy that came in just after I started going into the prisons where I was actually quite nervous because I, I was going to meet him and it was all over the news and social media he had uh, raped and killed a 16 year old girl and uh, my wife actually said to me remember why you're going in and it's one of the most difficult things is to separate the human aspect from the, from the God aspect and I met him the next day in the high-risk prison he had been beaten by the police and um, he wouldn't even make eye contact with me um, I'm not allowed to stick my hand inside the, the the cells but I asked permission to so I could, he could, I could get him to shake my hand eventually he came and shook my hand and I just said to him look I'm not here to judge you I'm not here to condemn you I'm here to be your friend and to cut a long story short a year later he was teaching Bible studies in the high-risk prison um, he then got transferred to another prison and we commissioned him as a missionary and he was up there for about two or three years and he used to phone me all the time I need more Bible studies I need more Bible studies at one stage he had 40 guys that he was teaching a week um, he then got transferred back to Port Vila he didn't really know the guys but he stood up when I was there gave his um, testimony not scared and he'd been in prison twice before that and released for rape so this was his. This is his third uh, stint. He was sentenced to 23 years. Um, yeah. So now he's he's still teaching Bible studies within there. Uh, I'll try at my best when they allow me to go and sit with him on his own, um, just to encourage him and keep him going.
as best you can. So yes, there are, and there's a couple of other stories as well, not as dramatic as that one, but um, you know, guys that are coming out, my guy that works with me, you know, he was he was a fairly good man before he went into prison. Got tempted, uh, realized what had happened and what he had done, and and while we were in prison, he turned his life to Christ and now works alongside me and has for the last four years. Um, including director generals of public works that have gone in for bribery and and everything else and one that went in said to me it took prison to realize what kind of man he was so and he's out um, different man altogether so yeah it it doesn't happen all the time Uh, I, I walk into the high risk prison and there's a guy that's back in prison you know for the third time so it doesn't the gospel doesn't reach everybody though God doesn't change everybody's hearts there are there are people that are hardened and that gets frustrating at times and and you get a bit despondent but it's, you, you can't God you can't do everything you know you can't not everybody can be saved so no and it's long-term work and um, you've only been here for five years so I think you've done brilliant to get in there in that time and I always think it takes five years to kind of understand what you're doing and get going to. So well done, and I'm sure as you build a good foundation, it'll only continue to grow and widen. Um, You mentioned the emasculation of men, and I think that's a worldwide issue again. Um, And there's many different reasons why that, but, you know, especially in these island cultures where I find men are physically masculine, like they appear (laughs) so much so masculine, but what, what... is going and and when they're male dominated too, very patriarchal. So what's going wrong in Vanuatu that the men are being emasculated? Um, the lack of of male leadership, the true proper. And when I say male leadership, mentors within their lives as as younger kids, as teenagers, um, father figures or mentors. Like I said earlier, we're trying to fulfil that role of guiding them to make the right choices in life. Um, I use a y, the letter Y as an example. There's a point in their life that they reach where they have to make a decision and that decision will send them down one of two paths. And the one path is if they refuse to go and steal that TV, they're going, they're on the right, they're going on the right path. But if they choose to steal that TV, that path will lead to prison and to more crime, maybe even death. So we're trying to get them at a stage where they've they know the difference between right and wrong and they can identify it and make the right choice when something like that comes about in their lives. So the lack of, of male father figures, mentors, is the biggest problem. Um, and obviously the Western culture coming through uh, social media, etc. Um, we got we got young boys that are running around in gangs. Uh, I'm not going to mention the word that they use for them here, um, but on bicycles, graffiti. <clears throat> and I've been a South African. I had a South African friend who worked with gangs in Cape Town, and he said the first sign of gangs forming is graffiti, and graffiti is on the increase. Um, so I'm always very wary of that. Um, boys can't teach boys to be men. So the lack of men teaching boys creates boys who should be men, basically, in a, in a short sentence. What, what is your, um, what does a healthy man look, I think, you know, yeah, what does a healthy man look like these days? Um, 
is probably we've lost so far, you know, sight of what that actually looks like. From your point of view and from the scriptures, what would you say healthy malehood is? Well, I think a healthy male is, is someone who loves their wife, loves their family, loves their community and loves God. Puts God first in everything and uses the Bible as a guide to living a life as a man. Um, the Bible teaches you, Ephesians 5, about how to be a good husband, how to love your wife. Um, Romans tells you what what you shouldn't be doing and then tells you the the, the, the wonderful news of salvation. Um, we mentioned earlier, James and 1 John teach you how to be a good Christian. Um, so a, a man of God is a good man, is a, is a man that is strong, yet not weak. Uh, well, not overbearingly strong, or in other words, not dominant or bossy. Uh, strong but loving, kind, compassionate. The, the fruits of the Spirit, as an example, would be your strong man who, who is faithful to, to God, to God's ways, to God's Word, um, and, and loves like Jesus loves us, without being a weak man who gets walked all over. Yes, it's really quite simple, isn't it? <laughs> uh, really is, but well, sounds simple, but it's an outworking of God in us. Um, just lastly, because I know your coffee's going cold and I hate drinking cold coffee, so one more question. You mentioned that you're seeking to become citizens of Vanuatu, so this is long-term for you. In the next 20 years that you're here, what would you like to see happen in Vanuatu? Prisons emptied. That would be a goal, <laughs> to have, have the prisons closed down. We did have the high-risk closed down at one stage because there was nobody to put in them. Um, but that didn't last too long. Um, yeah, look, I think from a personal point of view, it's more about sharing the true gospel. Um, because as we mentioned earlier, there's a, um, a cross-pollination of, of culture and religion. Um, getting the true gospel out there, creating true men of God who will lead their families, lead their communities, lead their church, and lead the nation um, by being true men of God. I'd like to see that happen. Whether it happens in my lifetime, I'm not sure. Um, but hopefully at least I can, I can plant a decent amount of seeds in that time that I'm here, that I'm still here. <laughs> Absolutely, and we must have big visions and big goals and dreams, and otherwise we never really aim for anything. And I think I always say, if uh, every man loved his wife and family like Christ loved the church, that would change a nation. <laughs> we, would, we would be in heaven. And I've been lucky enough to be a part of a family where my dad has done that. And gee, man, everyone does better. Everyone. So. Well, thank you for your time today, Bobby, um, and all the work that you're doing here in Vanuatu. Keep it up and we'll stay in touch. I see your suffering. I see the pain beneath that bowl of smile. Come out from hiding. The sun is rising Let the islands hear reason Let